in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a game night. And uh, how many of you remember the game Guess Who? You ever played this with your kids? Or uh, I remember playing Guess Who as a kid. You, you pick a character, and it's like you're a, de- a detective. You get questions. You get one question each turn, and you, and you ask a question, and you try to figure out who you're guessing. <laughs> and so the game of Guess Who is fun, but the, the characters are, are kind of, you can kind of imagine a backstory for them. You've, you've got like George, and he's got this big white mustache, and you, you kind of imagine what, what George must have done with his life. Well, I decided when uh, I was in college, Mary and I were dating, I decided to take Guess Who to a whole uh, another level, and I decided that uh, one year for her birthday, I was going to make her a customized game of Guess Who. And so I, uh, I put together, we, we were in college at the time, we loved our experience, we went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and uh, it was an extremely formative time in our years, and our professors were extremely dear to us. So I filled the Guess Who game with our professors. And so I have all of our professors, O'Neill, Milko, Dr. V, Dr. Neely, and I went through them. And so uh, you, you kind of open it up and you see all these professors and we would play. And it took the game of Guess Who to a whole nother level. Because you're not talking about these abstract figures like George. You're, you're talking about people who you love and who, who you know their quirks and you know uh, what makes them uh, laugh and, and what uh, gets them excited, what classes they teach and all of these things. And, and one of the things I realized is that there is something categorically different about the game when you're playing with people that you actually know. It changes the questions that you ask. It changes, uh, you no longer ask, does he have white hair? You ask, does he talk like this? And so they took the game to a whole another level. I tell you this story because uh, there is something categorically different about knowing who Jesus is and actually knowing Jesus. There's something categorically different about knowing who Jesus is, facts about him, and actually knowing him. And I think that that is what the Gospel of John is all about. You see, the Gospel of John, he's writing to, in the first century to, uh, I think that John's writing, and I'll show you why, to people who were curious. People who were curious about who this man Jesus was. Sure, maybe they learned facts about him, where he was from, what he looked like, the things that he did. But John wanted people to actually encounter him, to know him. And it changes the questions that you ask. You no longer ask questions about history merely or timeline, but you start to ask some deeper questions. And that's what the Gospel of John does for us. John starts the gospel and he says, the word became flesh. The word is this, this uh, picture that John uses for, for God himself as, as, he, 
as he starts the Gospel of John, he says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. At the end of the Gospel, we, he wraps it up, and John is one of the few Gospel writers that actually like, gives us a commentary of why he's writing. This is what he says in chapter 20, uh, verse 30 and 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John doesn't want you to know facts about Jesus. And I, as your pastor, don't want you to merely know facts about Jesus. I want you to know him that you may know that in him is life, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So over the next seven weeks, it's going to lead us up to Easter and even the week after Easter, which I think is going to be pretty providential, uh, because Jesus uh, is, throughout the Gospel of John, uh, has these self-revelation moments where, where he is revealing who he is, and he has the same structure that he uses. We're going to jump into the first one this morning in John chapter 6 when he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so over the next seven weeks, we are going to look at the I am statements of Jesus. And these are, most of these are metaphors that Jesus uses. Metaphors are something that we use in everyday speech. It's, it's where we are using a picture to connect with, it's like what we talked about with the Jesus does with parables. It's where he connects a picture with reality. And so what it's like if I said this morning, Mary's not here this morning, she's hooked up to some IV antibiotics, but she is a rock. Most of us would not take that literally and think about her being very hard on the surface and kind of cold, but we would understand what I'm saying there. It's a metaphor that she is constant, that she is strong, and so metaphors, Jesus uses these metaphors throughout the Gospel of John to help us understand who he is. And not just in this kind of fact way, but in an encounter with him where you can experience him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul is writing to the church and he describes uh, what happens in the gospel of Jesus when we encounter Jesus. It says we all with unveiled faces. In the Old Testament, uh, if ever God's glory was present on Mount Sinai, they would have to wear a veil over their face. No one could look at the glory of the Lord and live. But Paul says, and we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. 
And so this is my hope for our journey through the Gospel of John. If you, uh, in your personal uh, day-to-day life, want to join me and start reading through the Gospel of John, you can start this week and start, uh, start in chapter 1. Start reading through it with me. We're going to hit on these I am sections. But I think that you will find that as we behold the glory, notice what he said in John chapter 1, that Jesus uh, came and made his dwelling among us and we... We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And so we behold the glory of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we uh, come this morning to John chapter 6. I invite you, if you have a Bible, open up with me to John chapter 6. Because I'm going to read the majority of this chapter uh, for us. I I think... uh, We won't have time to expound every uh, detail of this chapter, but I want us to see uh, the big picture of what Jesus is teaching us here in this first I am statement. We read the backstory earlier in the service, verse 1 through 24. I'm going to pick up in verse 25. John chapter 6, verse 25 says, when they found him, it's talking about the crowd that had been searching for him ever since he left after feeding the 5,000. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, fairly truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? The work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. So they asked him, What sign... Then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. Jesus, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? 
How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very, very, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my body is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is the word of the Lord. I know that was a lot. But what I want us to do in the next few minutes is to zoom out from this large discourse that Jesus has with the crowds that are following him. And what we see in the verses immediately following is that the majority of the crowds, you see there was, a, there was thousands of people in this crowd. And after Jesus says these things, it whittles down to a couple dozen. They walk away because this is hard. This is, this is something that... It, is hard to accept. So I want us to ask, what does Jesus want us to encounter and to know and experience personally when he says, I am the bread of life? One of the things that we're going to see over the next seven weeks as we look at these I am statements is that the grammar that Jesus uses is very intentional. You see, Jesus says, I am, and in, in the Greek, the, the, this was the John wrote this in, it, it's the words ego eimi. And, and to most of us, it's all Greek to you, right? Uh, but I want us to understand the importance that Jesus uses, ego eimi. It means, I am, I am. It, it's, it's redundant. The grammar here is unnecessary. In many languages, you can have a verb where the subject I is implied. But Jesus is very emphatic to, that he uses these words, ego eimi, I am, I am, because 
it is, a very, it is a reflection of the very words that God spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Do you guys hear the beeping? Oh, the bread is done. Hang on a second. I got a loaf of bread in here that's been baking. All right. There we go. Fresh bread after the service, guys. Exodus chapter 3, Jesus, or actually God, speaks to Moses. Moses says, when I go to, the, go to Egypt and they ask me, what is your name? What shall I tell them? Exodus 3 verse 14, God says, tell them, I am, I am. The Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And in the Septuagint, when it was translated from Hebrew to Greek, follow me with it, because this is, this is important. Uh, when it was translated from Hebrew to Greek, they used the Greek words, ego a me, there in Exodus chapter 3, verse uh, 14. And so, follow me back to the Gospel of John. Jesus says, ego a me, the bread of life. Jesus is not just using a metaphor here. He is revealing that he is God. And in every one of these metaphors, it is grounded in the reality that Jesus is, in his very essence and being, God himself. And as we jump into these metaphors, I am the bread of life, it's important for us to understand that Jesus wants us to encounter God himself, to behold the glory of God. And, and, and so one of the things that Jesus wants us to get that in this passage of John chapter 6, you see it all throughout it, Jesus wants us to understand that he is the one that God sent. John chapter 6 is just uh, overshadowed by the picture of the manna that God provided for the people of Israel in the wilderness. He leads them out of Egypt. They, they come to the wilderness. They say, there's no food to eat. And God says, I will provide for you. And he rains down this miracle substance called manna, this bread from heaven. And they go out every morning. They're to collect enough for that day and uh, not enough for tomorrow because God would provide tomorrow. And if they stored up too much, it would spoil. And so God provided. It was this picture of God's provision. And one of the things that Jesus wants us to understand when he says, I am the bread of life, is he wants us to understand that Jesus is the perfect provision from heaven. He's the perfect provision supply of what we need. And so uh, here in John chapter 6 verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In the ancient world in Palestine, it, it was estimated that 85% of a person's income, of their salary from the work that they did, would go toward putting bread on the table. And now most of us, we go to the grocery store and bread is couple dollars. It, it's something we, most of us don't have to think twice about when we buy it, but I, I want you to understand a little bit of what these 
crowds are looking for from Jesus. Because they had just experienced him taking five loaves of bread, and from those five loaves, he was able to feed 5,000 people. And and we read that in John chapter 6, and we think, wow, that's an amazing miracle. But for these crowds, this wasn't just an amazing miracle. This was... This was financial security. If Jesus could provide bread like this, this was a game changer. And that's why it says in John chapter 6, the verses right before this passage, it says Jesus knew that they would want to make him king. And so he withdrew. You see, anyone who can provide something that's 85% of your income... That's a game changer. And so the crowds are searching for Jesus. And that's how John chapter 6 verse 25 starts. Is just this context of a crowd that is looking for Jesus. And I think that's an important context for us as we think about what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. Because many of us are looking for Jesus. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for someone who can change our lives. But many of us are in search of a problem solver instead of the solution. And that's where we find the crowds. They wanted Jesus to be the problem solver. I think this often happens in our spiritual lives. We we go through the routine, the mundane of life, and a crisis happens. And so where do we turn? We turn, oh, let's pray. And so we pray, and we pray that Jesus would be our problem solver. And all along, we hear the words of Jesus, I am the bread of And when the the crowds encounter Jesus in this passage, he reveals their mixed motives. He he says to them, uh, let me turn back to John chapter 6, because he says to them, I tell you, verse 26, that truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, not because you saw that I am the solution for you, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You see, many people come to Jesus, they come to uh, church, they come to religion, and they are looking for something to help. And Jesus isn't in the business of merely being a problem solver. He came to be the solution. And as he says, I am the bread of life, he wants us to understand that he isn't the supplier who stocks the shelves. He is the substance itself. Jesus says, John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The the crowd is is looking for something to, to be a temporary fix, but Jesus is offering an eternal solution. You see, Jesus wants us to understand that he is able to satisfy our deepest longings. All of us are searching to fill that emptiness 
in our lives. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, as St. Augustine said. There is that emptiness, that longing, that hunger that all of us have. And Jesus says, I am the solution. I am the source that came down from heaven. And I am the supply for your every need. And so we see in this passage that Jesus is the satisfaction that our souls long for. Because, and this is what's important, and this is what I want, I want us to take away from that, because he's the substance that our souls need. It, it, many of us want Jesus to satisfy our needs. But Jesus wants us to get this morning that he's the substance that we need. And, and that is the, the primary emphasis as, as Jesus goes on and kind of interacts with the crowds here about what it means that he is the bread of life. He goes on later in this passage to, to really lay out the recipe that in order for the bread to be made, the wheat has to die. And he says, you, you, whoever wants to eat of this bread that leads to eternal life has to understand that there's death involved. And, and, and part, of, part of this whole passage is, 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 is a picture of hope. That whoever eats of the bread of life has the hope that they too will rise. In, in verse 40, and I think this is an important uh, uh, piece of this whole passage, Jesus says, this is, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now, uh, what I want us to see here is when... Um, Jesus tells the crowds about this bread that leads to eternal life. Their response is what our response very often is. When, when we hear that there is, is, is something that can satisfy our souls, that, that can bring life to us, that kind of life that we, we're, we're longing for, that we're striving for, the crowds say to him, verse 28, what, what, what must we do? to do the works that God requires. And most of us, our response is, okay, what do I have to do? And we often approach religion like that. We approach Jesus like that. What do I have to do to, to, to be happy, to experience peace, to experience satisfaction? And we, and we think, and, and we put the load on our shoulders that if we just do enough, maybe then we'll fill that hole in our souls. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're, you're missing the point. It's not, he says, the work of God is this, that you believe. That you believe in the one who God has sent. And this is what he says in verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, notice that it's, it's a picture of simply looking to Jesus. And, I, and this, is, this, is, this is what we want to do in the Gospel of John. We want to look to the Son. We want to look to Jesus, behold who he is when he says, I am the bread of life. And we look to him and, and the food is Jesus and the feasting is faith and the satisfaction 
it, it is, is this realization that Jesus is God. And he is able to meet our deepest longings. The satisfaction is who Jesus is, and the sustenance is what he would accomplish, namely, the hope of the resurrection. And Jesus wants us to understand that he is the bread of life because not only that he is the, he is the source of bread, but also that he is able to sustain life beyond the grave. What John's going to lead us to at the end of these I am statements is Jesus saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And so this hope is that, is that sustaining element of what Jesus wants us to experience. Jesus satisfies us when we come to him by faith. He satisfies our deepest longings. D.A. Carson says this, this doesn't mean that there is no need for continued dependence upon him, for continued feeding upon him. It does mean that there is no longer that core emptiness that the initial encounter with Jesus has met. The consummating satiation occurs when those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb stand before the throne of God and experience the oracle, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. That's a quote from Revelation. And so when we come to Jesus by faith, we experience that he meets, he satisfies our deepest longings because he is the substance that our souls need. We were created to feast upon Christ. We were created to experience the hope of his resurrection. You see, the crowd wanted to know what to do to satisfy God. But Jesus calls us in this passage to find our satisfaction in God, not in what we do, but in who he is. He is God, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've beheld his glory. You notice what the crowds do when they hear all this teaching? They go back to guess who? They say, wasn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, who's from Nazareth? They're knowing facts about a person. But Jesus invites us when he says, I am the bread of life, to experience that he satisfies our souls when we come to him by faith. Jesus is the satisfaction that our souls long for because he is the substance of what our souls need. And so Jesus is the supply of our life. He's the satisfaction of our souls. And he is the sustainer of our hope. And whoever eats this bread, will live. I, I think that uh, many have tried to read the Lord's Supper into this passage. And I don't think that John's trying to do that. 
I think as John writes this, as he's writing, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I think he's expanding this metaphor of Jesus being the bread of life. But I do think that this passage points us to the Lord's Supper. It it points us to the reality that we remember and celebrate at the Lord's Supper. That Jesus satisfies our longings. That Jesus is what our hearts are trying to fill. And so I know for many of us, we try to fill that longing with many different things. We looked at this morning that our hearts are are perpetual factories of idols. We try to fill the hunger that our souls souls feel with, with things that fill our time that fill our schedule. We even try to fill it with religious things, of doing things for God. But at the end of the day, Jesus invites us to sit at the table with nothing in our hands and feast upon who he is. That he is God who came for you, who went to the cross for you, who bore your sins and rose to give you life. And he says, come and eat. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, Whoever comes to me will never hunger and never thirst. We have this incredible invitation to not know who Jesus is as a historical person, but to encounter who Jesus is as the Son of God. You were created to have a relationship with him. And when we enter into that relation by faith, we feast upon that nourishment that our souls were created for. This week, as I reflected on this passage, uh, as many of you know, I, I like to write poetry from time to time. Uh, it paints a picture that often simple words can't express. So I'd like to... Uh, close our reflections on this passage by reading uh, this poem and then we're going to respond by singing together that all we have is Christ. In a world full of brokenness and strife, Jesus speaks, I am the bread of life. He sits at a table that is wooden and crude. He says, come and be filled with the finest of food." I sit down at the table, confused at the sight. The table is empty. This can't be right. I'm tired and hungry. I expected a meal, something to satisfy the emptiness I feel. It seems silly to sit when there's so much to do. Perhaps I should go, tell Jesus I'm through. There's all the demands of the world around. There's bills to be paid, put the plow to the ground. Sometimes I wonder if money could cure The hunger I feel, but I'm not really sure. There's the problems of health that keep me awake at night. If Jesus would help, my faith would be sight. Perhaps it's just that I don't do enough. If I just do more, life wouldn't be so rough. I'm searching for answers, that's what brought me here. I'm looking for something that can calm my fear. And out of the silence, I hear his voice. He says, child, be still, come away from the noise. He holds out his hand as if to offer me bread, but his hand is empty, an invitation instead. 
He says, come and eat, feast and be free, receive the free gift, believe that it's me. I'll satisfy your longings, I'll sustain your soul, I'll give you life forever, the broken made whole. To believe is to feast on the bread that is he. His body was broken for you and for me. In a world full of brokenness and strife, Jesus speaks, I am the bread of life.